The Can He Do That podcast is sponsored by ZipRecruiter. Hiring? ZipRecruiter makes sure your process is simple and smart. It's where growing businesses connect to qualified candidates. Try it for free at ZipRecruiter.com slash do that. That's ZipRecruiter.com slash do that. Yeah, I think Google is uh, really taking advantage of a lot of people, and I think that's a very serious thing, and it's a very serious charge. I think what Google and what others are doing, if you look at what's going on at Twitter, if you look at what's going on in Facebook, uh, they better be careful because you're, you can't do that to people. That's President Trump asserting Tuesday that Google and other technology companies are censoring conservative voices on their platforms. This statement wasn't the first time Trump raised his concerns about search and social media companies suppressing right-wing people and outlets. But this week, those attacks from Trump have ramped up, both on Twitter and in his statements to reporters. So I think that Google and Twitter and Facebook, they're really treading on very, very troubled territory, and they have to be careful. It's not fair to large portions of the population. So do Google, Twitter, and Facebook have to be careful, as the president suggests? What power does a president have to regulate the information distributed by a tech company? This is Can He Do That, a podcast that explores the powers and limitations of the American presidency. I'm Allison Michaels. On Tuesday morning, as part of a series of tweets, Trump said, Google search results for Trump news shows only the viewing slash reporting of fake news media. In other words, they have it rigged for me and others so that almost all stories and news is bad. So what prompted this latest attack on Google? Likely some coverage on Fox Business Network. On Monday, Lou Dobbs Tonight aired a segment. Google blatantly suppressing conservative media outlets from Americans searching for Trump on the site. Takes you interesting places. Dobbs is referencing a post on the conservative news site, PJ Media. The post was written by the site's managing editor, Paula Bolliard. Bulliard entered the word Trump in the Google News search function and published her interpretation of the results. 96% of the results from national left-wing media in the first 100 results, CNN appears most frequently, 21 times, followed by Washington Post and NBC. That is tough going. Those results, described by Bulliard herself as not scientific, have been met with controversy. To determine what was a liberal media outlet, Bulliard used a chart built by journalist Cheryl Atkinson. Atkinson is the host of a show distributed by the Trump-friendly Sinclair Broadcast Group. Now, there are many reasons Bulliard didn't see certain conservative publications in her results, and that's because of how the Google News algorithm works. Essentially, Google News is an application that Google has created that curates news stories that it finds around the web. Brian Fung is a business and technology reporter for The Washington Post. He's been covering the intersection of tech companies and politics. He's explaining how the Google News algorithm works to rank results. In the past year, Google has made some changes to Google News that add elements of artificial intelligence and machine learning that you know, make it much more of an automated product that customizes your newsfeed in ways that are more personalized. The PJ Media findings focused specifically on results in Google News, but Google's search function works in a different way. 
Google Search and Google News are two very different platforms. And the most basic way to understand this is Google is not very much more complicated than essentially a list of websites that Google has um, analyzed already. And when you enter a search term into Google, Google goes back into its records and tries to find matches uh, with all of the web pages that it's, it's scraped before. And then this is where sort of the more subjective aspects of Google ranking comes in. Um, Google has more than 100 different signals uh, or indicators that it uses to try and rank uh, information to present it to you in the most relevant uh, and useful way. So one of the things that it uses, for example, um, is your location. Local search results uh, are considered to be highly relevant to people, uh, especially if they're looking for things like restaurants or activities. Another thing that Google looks at uh, is how recently a page has been updated. So this tends to benefit uh, websites um, and news organizations that are quick to jump on breaking news. There are a number of factors that contribute to how Google ranks search results, but ultimately it boils down to authority and relevance. Google has a, an entire 160-page document where it lays out publicly what it means by the words authoritative and relevant. You know, so people who are skeptical of Google's methodology actually do have a rubric by which they can evaluate Google's approach to search ranking. One person skeptical of Google's methodology is the president of the United States. And his recent accusations against the company prompted Google to respond. Google has obviously denied that it manipulates its Google search results to favor a political ideology. That obviously may not be convincing to people who are already persuaded that Google skews their search results. But Google has said that it maintains a whole slew of human testers who are trained to detect whether or not Google is serving up relevant and authoritative results. Google is a behemoth when it comes to information distribution today. So evaluating bias in its methods is important to our democracy. That's what technology ethicist David Ryan Polgar said earlier this week. A lot of this comes into the trust that we have for any type of search engine. So in order for Google to, to thrive, we have to trust that they are completely unbiased. David is also the founder of an initiative called All Tech is Human. He's talking about Google's ethical responsibilities to the public. Google is, is obviously wielding a, a extremely large amount of power, and frankly, I think that's one of the things that's making uh, a lot of individuals uh, feel vulnerable. I think anytime you have something that is powerful and mysterious, that makes it a ripe ground for conspiracies to thrive, and I think that might be the, the situation that we have uh, going here right now. That's always been the, the controversy with any type of algorithms. I think more people understanding that uh, an algorithm is still fed by data, so if it's garbage in, then it's garbage out. I think we saw this uh, a few years ago with a top Google image search for female CEO came up as a CEO Barbie. That was something that was perpetuating a certain kind of gender stereotype, and that was all based on the, the relevance and, and how that was kind of indexed. So I think it's very difficult for any search engine to be completely unbiased. But that said, it doesn't seem like any of the accusations are true about Google having any type of bias towards uh, the information that's coming out. Should Google also have obligations then to censor untrue or false information? 
this is actually where Google is in between a rock and a hard place because there's there's really two major competing interests that are going on right now that are that are really at kind of loggerheads. You have one side that is saying, Google, you need to to fight misinformation. If something is not true, you need to take it down. If something is hateful, you need to take it down. On the flip side, you've had a type of discussion on saying, well, Google, who are you to be this arbiter of truth? Who are you to decide? Now, along these lines, the internet has essentially democratized information. Is that democratization of information creating a skewed sense of what facts are? How much should technology companies be held to account for that? Oh, I think it's completely upended the, uh, the, the ability to even determine what is truthful. And I think that's why you've also seen a major push with uh, media literacy of understanding uh, fact versus fiction and the credibility of sources and what we spread. I think that's why that's a, a rising concern. So the democratization of the, of the Internet and really allowing every voice, that's really been kind of a double-edged sword. On one hand, that means that anybody can be a publisher of information. I'm a publisher of of content all the time. The downside is you put the onus on the individual oftentimes to determine uh, whether or not something is factual. I think this is also why you've seen kind of a, a counter movement of, of people going back to these authoritative sources who are saying, you know what, uh, I can't tell if this source is truthful, therefore I'm going to subscribe to 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 you know, outlets that I trust, because I know with near certainty that the information that I am reading is is going to be truthful. And a lot of different factors contribute to how we decide what media outlets to trust, right? So, for example, do the political ideologies of a company's employees matter? Jack Dorsey, the CEO of Twitter, he's said that his employees are largely left-leaning. Does that present an ethical issue for a company that controls so much information? Well, the, you know, the same argument could be said for academic institutions that are also going to be more statistically left-leaning, uh, should academic institutions be, you know, 50-50. But I think the danger with that type of thinking is is then we would view everybody as being a potential bad actor that's going to be heavily influenced by their politics. And, and I think that's a, a bad road to go down, right? Just because I have a political leaning doesn't mean that I can't be a fair individual. If you could write a code of ethics for these tech companies. What major points would you hit specifically about the kind of speech it distributes and how it distributes it? Really, one of the things that uh, all these companies need to look at is whether or not over time uh, there's going to be a transition in how we even consider them. Uh, frankly, I think they're realizing that the power they hold is so great that the current structure uh, if we're looking at, you know, where is this going to go a couple of years from now, the current structure is not working and it's probably not ideal. I think over time we might start viewing some of these companies as more of a public utility. And with that, there might have to be more kind of interaction with governmental bodies. The Can He Do That podcast is sponsored by ZipRecruiter. Hiring used to be hard, but today hiring can be easy and you only have to go to one place to get it done. ZipRecruiter.com slash do that. It's so effective that 80% of employers who post on ZipRecruiter get a quality candidate through the site within the first day. With results like that, it's no wonder ZipRecruiter is the highest rated hiring site in America. Listeners of Can He Do That can try ZipRecruiter for free at this exclusive web address, ZipRecruiter.com slash do that. That's ZipRecruiter.com slash D-O-T-H-A-T, ZipRecruiter.com slash do that.
This notion brings us back to our initial question about the interaction between technology companies and governmental bodies. Trump's economic advisor had initially said this week that the White House was looking into whether the government should regulate Google. Trump walked that back on Wednesday and said he's looking for fairness, not regulation. But can the government even legally regulate information distributed by technology companies if it wanted to? So under current law, the administration absolutely cannot regulate the content of Google search results. Genevieve Lakier is an assistant professor of law at the University of Chicago Law School. She's explaining how the First Amendment limits what an administration can do to interfere with search and social media companies. There is very strong precedent that says that the government cannot determine what media companies or other kinds of purveyors of information can select or choose to convey. So there's a case called Tornillo, which deals with the First Amendment rights of newspaper editors, that says basically uh, the government cannot require or prohibit uh, newspaper editors from engaging in whatever editorial decisions they want when it comes to choosing what news to convey or not to convey. And courts have almost uniformly decided that this applies to search engines like Google as well as other kinds of uh, internet media companies. While the First Amendment law might apply to what specific content is distributed, does it apply to how that content is distributed? Can the government step in to say, you need to change how this algorithm works? Well, so that's where uh, internet law gets kind of tricky because there are arguments about the distinction between algorithms and speech. And people on different ends of the theoretical and the ideological spectrum have different views about how to um, understand what algorithms are. Are they speech or are they simply means to create speech? But to the extent that the effect of regulating algorithms is to regulate content, and specifically in this context where President Trump and the administration seems to be quite forthright about the fact that what it's ultimately concerned with is content, it would be extremely surprising to me if any court were to say, oh, we're just regulating algorithms, we're not regulating speech. Because here, what's what's at stake is not simply a technical matter about uh, encryption or data security or something of that sort. And so this would simply be, I think, a way of getting around the First Amendment issues Outside of First Amendment laws applied to content and distribution, can the federal government regulate private businesses in other ways? Actually, this isn't exactly outside the First Amendment context either. There's a long history of the Supreme Court and lower courts grappling with the relationship between antitrust law and the First Amendment. So when the government regulates media companies on antitrust grounds, is it infringing on their First Amendment rights? And in the 1940s and 1950s, there was a series of cases in which the court was forced to deal with the question of whether or not does antitrust itself, as applied to media companies, uh, violate the First Amendment? And it held that it doesn't, that the government can regulate um, anti-competitive practices by media companies, just like it can regulate anti-competitive practices by any other companies, so long as the effect is not to suppress speech because the government dislikes it or to otherwise unduly interfere with the operations of the marketplace of ideas. So it's you shouldn't think of it as, you know, there's antitrust law and then there's the First Amendment and they're completely separate spheres. Usually, antitrust law operates without the interference of the First Amendment, except when its purpose is kind of viewpoint discrimination or its effect is really threatening to free speech. And then the First Amendment applies. Can the president use his power in such a way where he directs his agencies to investigate companies whose practices he's unhappy with? The way in which this uh, whole episode has unfolded raises 
very serious red flags because it suggests that what's going on is a kind of punishment of um, media companies the president doesn't like. So, I mean, in theory, the president is the head of the executive branch and he can direct and uh, agencies, he can talk to the people who populate the executive branch and say, hey, I would like you to pursue this and not pursue that. The president usually has has significant power to direct uh, um, the priorities of members of the executive branch. But if what that is doing is showing that the antitrust enforcement is simply a pretext, a means of going after the enemies of the president or the uh, speakers he doesn't like, that's going to make this really problematic from a First Amendment perspective. Trump has also questioned whether suppressing Republican and conservative media would be illegal. Would it be illegal for a company like Google to skew its search results in favor of one particular ideology? Would that be illegal? No, not under current law. You know, the whole um, the whole theory of the First Amendment is that the First Amendment prevents the government from engaging in viewpoint discrimination, but allows private actors to do the same thing. So the idea is that the marketplace of ideas works by different private actors having different uh, perspectives, different slants. And so there are some who think that it's totally fine, it's good for different media companies to favor or disfavor certain perspectives, certain kinds of news, because it gives consumers choice. Um, And that is certainly the approach that the courts have taken. Now, some scholars have argued that this is a problem when private companies, in this case, private media companies, have so much power that they are in control of really important sites of public conversation and discussion. And so they have argued that these kinds of private companies should be considered information fiduciaries and should have some kinds of non-discrimination obligations imposed upon them. I'm sympathetic to those kinds of arguments, although I think that they are strongest when it comes to companies that provide the kind of backbone of the internet, the ISPs. It gets weaker when we talk about um, search engines and uh, social media companies like Facebook, because in those cases, there really are viable choices that consumers have. It's not that they have a kind of monopoly or quasi-monopoly status. But anyway, all of that is just uh, academic speculation, academic arguments. Under current law, there is no recognition of the fiduciary status of uh, companies like Google. They are protected like any other private speaker, just like you can choose what to say and what not to say. Google can choose what um, news it wants to promote or not promote. And now it says it's not doing that, but if it were to do that, it's completely protected by the First Amendment under current law. So then given all of that, should Google and Twitter and Facebook and perhaps other companies kind of rest easy or should they take Trump's threats seriously? You know, I, th- I I think they should rest pretty easy. The tricky question is, can Trump make life difficult for them by using circuitous or pretextual means? So can he direct his agencies to look at their tax returns or can he institute antitrust scrutiny? Can he use all of the very many different uh, mechanisms available to him to effectively punish them for doing things he dislikes? In all those cases, if I were advising those companies, I would want to bring a First Amendment challenge to the administration's actions because um, the administration has in some ways shown its cards. It's provided a lot of evidence um, that what's happening here is not simple enforcement of rules and regulations, but a kind of punishment of political enemies. But that's costly and difficult. Who wants to engage in that? So. Um, from their perspective, I could see why they would still not want the administration to think of them as its enemy. But from a formal perspective, from a First Amendment perspective, they should rest pretty easy. The law is absolutely on their side. 
So essentially, the president is limited in the actions he can take against the content that search and social media companies distribute. And while he can seek to punish these companies in other ways, those actions would likely brush up against First Amendment protections. And yet, there is another body of government that can investigate these tech companies, and that's Congress. I hear that the holding hearings in Congress over the next couple of weeks, and I think it's a very serious problem because they're really trying to silence a very large part of this country, and those people don't want to be silenced. It's not right. Next week, on Wednesday, September 5th, tech executives, including Twitter CEO Jack Dorsey and Facebook COO Sheryl Sandberg, will testify in congressional hearings. Google has also been invited to testify. But lawmakers have so far rejected the company's offer to send a lower-level executive rather than its CEO. Wednesday's hearings are intended to probe tech companies' efforts to police content, content ranging from political speech to suspected Russian propaganda. Post reporter Brian Fung will be watching those hearings. We're still feeling a lot of uncertainty about the role that these companies play in our political discourse and the extent to which they may be affecting the outcomes of our elections. And part of this has to do with the fact that we simply don't understand, we, the public, simply don't understand very well how these algorithms actually function. And in many cases, the way these algorithms work are closely held corporate secrets. So by nature, there's sort of a uh, an inherent tension between these companies' business incentives and lawmakers and other members of the public who are simply reduced to trying to reverse engineer what they think may be happening behind the scenes. So do you think Trump has specific things he'd like to see come out of next week's hearings? I think what's really going on here is that lawmakers have seized on an issue that is very close to the hearts of Americans and also incidentally I mean, it just has has to do with, you know, billions of dollars that are flowing through our economy every day. It's both economically salient for people and also politically salient for people. And often when those things come together, it's sort of a, a perfect storm for lawmakers who typically use these sorts of hearings to make a point or try to gain political leverage. So what moment are lawmakers looking for in these hearings? The optimistic answer would be that lawmakers are looking for transparency and honesty from these companies. Uh, The cynical answer would be that these lawmakers are looking for an opportunity or a justification to legislate or to regulate. And what are you watching for in next week's hearings? We'll be looking for a couple things. One, how deferential the, the tech companies are, especially toward the conservative lawmakers and their concerns about bias. You know, there's been a something of a debate about whether or not tech CEOs are overcompensating for complaints that are being made by conservatives when many left-leaning users of these platforms are complaining about things like Nazis and racism and hate speech that are um, pervasive on some of these platforms. Another thing that we'll be looking for is um, how contrite these executives are about their role in shaping American political discourse. And for full coverage of these congressional hearings next week, follow along at WashingtonPost.com. This 
This has been another episode of Can He Do That? If you like this, leave us a review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to your podcasts. Thanks for listening. Can He Do That? is a team effort here at The Post. It's produced by Carol Alderman with design direction from Kat Rudell-Brooks, logo art from Loren Boglio, and theme music from Ted Muldoon.